to WBAI's Driving Forces this evening. I'm your co-host, Jeff Simmons, and this is a weekly show about politics and policy where we focus on the issues that are dominating discussion on a city, state, and national level. And leading that discussion as well today is my wonderful co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. Celeste, how are you doing today? Always glad to be here with you, Jeff. Good to hear your voice. Good to be here with everybody in Radioland. And, of course, just trying to process this breaking news that we just had this afternoon about our state attorney general, Letitia James, not doing the governor thing. What do you make of that, Jeff? Surprised or what? I think it was a surprise because I was reading some of the pieces about it, including one in the New York Times about how she had just started to make phone calls earlier today, and she was not really giving an explanation to people. And I have to say, that is also keeping things very close to the, what's the phrase, close to the vest um, about, you know, about the reasons. But I have to say, a lot of the speculation in recent weeks had been, what would be her path to victory, you know, with her running, with Jumani Williams running, with Swazi, like a number of downstate candidates, Celeste? Yeah, it's interesting. And looking at some of the coverage, I was just looking at the political piece, but there's, of course, a, a, a big crop of pieces that are developing right now on this. You know, some questions about was she lagging at all in the fundraising department? Was her heart really in this campaign? You know, there was somebody in there um, who was describing her as a really passionate talented, capable campaigner, but was she just sort of not that excited about this? The fact that she never apparently uh, really got north of Westchester County, you know, was she ready to to uh, do the Albany thing and, um, you know, try to serve the entire state, put her, you know, extend her focus to the entire state in an executive position like the governor's office versus continuing to do the kinds of important investigations, no doubt, that she has done as AG, Jeff. Yeah, and what also crossed my mind is what we did last week at this time. So last, I mean, our listeners who, who regularly tune in know that we had Zephyr Teach out on with us. She had announced that she's running for attorney general. I'm curious how this is going to affect all of those races, all of those candidates right now who have indicated either that they would throw their hat in the ring or they already have. What will this mean for the attorney general's race? That is a very big deal because this does have sort of a domino effect. People who were considering running for AG, people who might have been considering running for governor, people who were already looking ahead one or two cycles, as uh, people are always wont to do, uh, playing the long game in in New York State politics, Jeff. But this is this is going to have uh, reverberations throughout the entire political system, I think. Yeah, and the Times reported, I do want to cite given this discussion, that at least one of the candidates who already had entered the race for the Democratic nomination, that's uh, State Senator Shelley Meyer of Westchester, dropped out immediately after Tish James's announcement today uh, and endorsed her. And also uh, in my uh, home borough of Queens, uh, I've got State Senator Mike Gennaris, who is uh, mulling a run, and he too said he would back the incumbent. 
Yeah, this is this is a very interesting development. I'm not sure if everyone again was entirely surprised by this, but uh, you know, something that that people have been looking at for a while. Certainly, people who have been looking at Kathy Hochul and saying, "Well, you know, considering the circumstances uh, under which she entered the governor's office, was this going to be uh, something that she was going to be able to parlay into a full term of her own?" And of course, this is a perfectly convenient time to remind people that. A a woman has never been elected governor of the state of New York, Jeff. And that's a good point. You're making that distinction with elected. You know, we're focusing on this show each week on policy, on politics. We like to bring you guests who have a different perspective. So, you know, we will continue to follow this. We'll follow the attorney general's race and the governor's race. But there are a number of other races, uh, you know, that have recently taken place and that will be taking place. Uh, and, you know, I want to jump to our first guest and skip a little ahead because we've got him on the line right now, Celeste, because, mm-hmm. uh, in, you know, in a few weeks, we're going to be seeing a whole change in administration but there are other races going on. So uh, there were, as you know, quite a few candidates earlier this year that were running for mayor and, you know, even more had contemplated throwing their hats into the ring. And one of them uh, was former United States Congressman Max Rose, who appeared on our show. Uh, He first said uh, a mayoral bid would be an underdog campaign, but then in late June announced that he was not going to run and urged the candidates uh, seeking to replace Mayor Bill de Blasio to pay heed to the needs of the working class. Now, if you don't know much about Max Rose, he's a former Army infantry officer who earned a Purple Heart and a Bronze Star for his service in Afghanistan. He served as Director of Public Engagement for the late Brooklyn DA, Kenneth Thompson, and he was Chief of Staff at Bright Point Health, and that's an organization that provides health care to the poor and people experiencing homelessness. He ran successfully for Congress in 2018 to represent Staten Island's 11th District. And while a member of Congress, he served as chairman of the House Homeland Security Subcommittee on Intelligence and Counterterrorism and pushed to expand the foreign terrorist organization designation list to include international white supremacist organizations. Now, after losing his re-election bid to Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis in 2020, Max Rose served as senior advisor on COVID to the Secretary of Defense. But this week... He made a big announcement. He is running to return to his former seat in Congress. So we invited him on the show to tell us a little about what motivated him to seek his seat again. Max Rose, welcome back to Driving Forces. Thanks so much for having me again. It's great to join you. So, you know, I gave a a rather lengthy uh, intro to you, but what are some of the other uh, things that you think our listeners should know about you and your decision to run? Yeah, no, I I heard the intro. You've got me blushing as I sit in my car. Um, So, look, you know, the the story of my life of service also stands as why I'm running for for my old seat. You know, as you look at what the American people are faced with today, what New Yorkers are faced with today, it's just been crisis after crisis after crisis, and quite frankly, they are exhausted. And I am of the belief that at a moment like this, what is called for are those who are willing to risk it all to do what's right, not for re-election, to not do what a poll tells you to do, to not do what your donors tell you to do, to not necessarily do to do what a former president tells you to do, but to do what is in the interests of your values and those who you serve. Uh, and that, that's, that's what I did when I was 
a member of Congress. That's what I did when I was leading soldiers in Afghanistan. I've got the scars, both figuratively and literally, to prove that. Now, you look at the Republican Party today, and this is a party that will tear America apart, has demonstrated in support of the, in their support of the January 6th insurrection, or albeit their refusal to stand up to it, that they would go so far as to tear America apart just to hold on to power. And that, to me, is wrong, something worth standing up to, um, and it's a reason to run. And Congressman, thanks for joining us here again on Driving Forces. We know you've uh, joined us in the past, and it's been uh, great to have you then as it is now. Um, I do want to get to, I think that was a little bit of a ding uh, in relation to uh, former President Donald Trump and uh, the current occupant of the uh, New York 11 seat. But first of all, just want to run through a little bit. What are sort of the specific top issues directly related to Staten Island and to the 11th district that you think need attention right now? What are you looking yeah. to do for constituents there specifically? Absolutely. Well, well, listen, the, fir- the first thing is, is we, we have got to get the Build Back Better agenda across the finish line, first and foremost, because that is a singular effort to lower the cost of that, that which people deeply care about, to make their lives more affordable, to put money in people's pockets, and I also believe that that <clears throat> has a significant effect on uh, inflation as well. It's my belief that we have got to do everything possible to beat back this pandemic, not to uh, disavow science uh, in pursuit of political gain. And let's not forget that beating back this pandemic will also have associated positive impacts on inflation as well as economic uh, economic growth. What, what's fascinating, though, is those are solutions-oriented proposals that I just laid out. Uh, you know, as we think about where we are with our governing today, <coughs> excuse me, um, we move from cycle to cycle, and we forget about what's been accomplished just several months ago. Think of the American Rescue Plan, which was a profound effort to save the economy uh, that was on the on the brink of collapse. And just today, <coughs> we had phenomenal news about jobless claims being at their lowest levels for multiple generations and perhaps adjusted for certain economic uh, population measures, the the lowest that they've ever been. Uh, This is a moment for us to unite as a country in the face of these unpredictable and inexplicable crises that that we're facing. What disappoints me, and this isn't about one person, I'm not just running against Nicole Maliotakis, I'm not in the business of character. But what, what does concern me about the state of the Republican Party today is that I, I do believe that behind closed doors, they're secretly rooting for inflation to continue. They're secretly rooting for uh, growth to subside. They're secretly rooting for the American people to suffer because they believe that that will result in uh, political gains for them. That's just wrong. That's the type of politics that I reject, and I would, would reject that if the Democratic Party would, was doing that, too. I have rejected it when the Democratic Party has done that. And in talking about the, you know, the state of the party, I, I also think of the state of the, the district. Uh, you know, just a few weeks ago, Vito Fisella trounced a, a Democratic candidate, Mark Murphy, for the borough presidency. That's a candidate that Nicole Maliotakis had endorsed. Uh, and Fisella won with support from or endorsements from Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani. How would you work 
with Fasella as the representative for the 11th district and, you know, and how, you know, and are you concerned about, you know, about the folks who felt that, you know what, this is what I want from not just my local, uh, you know, borough president, but from all candidates, because I believe in these issues, you know, that align with the Nicole Maliotakis's or the Rudy Giuliani's or Donald Trump's. Well, I don't know if it's as simple as that. So first of all, in regards to your question about working with uh, borough president-elect Pacella, I, I would, of course, be eager to do so as a member of Congress. Um, you, you should just rely on my words there. Look at my actions. I, One of my strongest partners in government at any level was uh, current borough president uh, Jimmy Otto, who's a longtime member of the Republican Party. The type of politics that we can't have today, though, is a politics where people, when they are not in power, just want to kick the can down the road until the next election, and they refuse to work with people from the opposite side of the party because they don't want to make anyone else look good. You know, it's this politics of enemies. It's this politics of vitriol and disdain. You know, when I was deployed to Afghanistan, those were real enemies that were trying to kill me and, more importantly, kill people I love and was entrusted with leading. That's where we face real enemies overseas. They're not each other. Now, that does not mean that we do not exist in a world of opposing ideas. For instance, it is my profound belief that we should have uh, universal pre-K throughout the United States of America, and that government needs to play a very large role in ensuring that. There are certainly the majority of the Republican Party that disagrees with me. It is my belief that we need to have... Uh, get as close to possible as you, for universal child care. We need to do as much as possible, as humanly possible, in the face of climate change. Uh, we need to lead with our values overseas. We need to do everything possible to beat back big pharma as it seeks to increase the price of pharmaceutical drugs, even to the detriment of millions of Americans who suffer each and every day. The Republican Party often disagrees with that. But that does not mean that in the area of common agreement or in an area where we can compromise, that I would not pursue that uh, political consequences be damned. If you're just joining us, we are here on Driving Forces speaking to former member of Congress Max Rose. He is seeking once again to take over uh, representation of the 11th Congressional District in Staten Island. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. And Congressman, we just want to make clear, obviously, we jumped ahead a little bit to talking about uh, Congresswoman Maliotakis. But before you would be able to face off with her, you would first have to go through a Democratic primary. Um, you would have to defeat former Army Captain Brittany Ramos de Barros in that primary. What are your thoughts on her as a candidate and how you'll approach the primary? Yeah, look, I, I have great respect for uh, Brittany and, and uh, I certainly sincerely hope that this is a primary uh, based in and around uh, policies and ideas and not character attacks. That, that certainly will be what you, you get from me each and every step of the way. I'm very proud of my record. I'm proud of my record fighting to bring home hundreds of millions of dollars uh, to the district, even during the height of uh, the COVID crisis. Uh, I'm proud of my record fighting for critical national security issues like the ones that you mentioned uh, in my introduction in and around the rise of domestic extremism and their uh, the global implications of these emerging movements. I'm proud of my record fighting the overdose epidemic that is taking the lives of far too many putting sanctions on China and Chinese pharmaceutical companies as well as other global uh, organizations that are 
shipping illicit fentanyl and producing illicit fentanyl that's killing our kids right before our eyes. It's a record that I'm proud of. It's a record that I'm going to be running on, and I'm also going to be running on a vision for how we can continually make this country fair, strong, just, and a, a land of opportunity. It's a country that we know is possible. And when you uh, when you did lose your uh, your bid against uh, current Congresswoman Meliotakis, do you think that was that a product of the sort of political climate at the time, or how will you approach this election differently? Not only in how you run, but how you uh, address people who may not necessarily uh, agree with your views, but uh, that you will need to bring to your side in order to well, in order to yeah, win. Look, I'll leave it to you all to read the political tea leaves in terms of analyzing the last go-around, uh, I do know that uh, there were undoubtedly a series of lies thrown at me uh, you know, in regards to you know these blatant lies saying that I uh, supported defunding the police, which, which anyone who looks at my record knows is absolutely egregiously wrong. Uh, you know, I've, I've supported increased funding for law enforcement as well as the pursuit of justice for all that has been a cornerstone of my entire career in public service, they won't have Trump's coattails to run on this time around. And I'm certainly not going to take lectures from anyone who supports January 6th cop killers on public safety. But what I will tell you is that I am going to be going community to community, door to door, Republican, Democrat, Independent. It does not matter earning people's trust, uh, talking about a vision for the future of our politics and the future of our city and the future of Staten Island and Brooklyn that uh, is centered around how we can improve people's lives, not how we can rip each other apart. That's what matters. Uh, and that's what I'm going to be basing my campaign around. If there's any issue with the Democrats today, is that we, we have a trust problem. You know, we, we, we have to stop looking down on people's pains. We have to stop trying to explain away things like inflation. Rather, we should be continually talking about powerful and substantive ways in which we can address their concerns. One thing I think we should be talking about more and more is deploying the National Guard to our ports to help us uh, you know, offload critical merchandise, especially in advance of the holidays. That's just one of many ideas that we should be pushing right now. And we've only got about two minutes left. Uh, you know, at one point you had considered you were mulling whether to run for mayor, which brings me to my next question. Given this current bid, are you going to seek the endorsement of mayor-elect Eric Adams? Well, look, 100% absolutely. Um, you know, I, I believe that this mayor is going to be a breath of fresh air for New York City. And, and the reason why, and the reason why, you know, his, his inauguration, his swearing in cannot come soon enough is that he, he and the, the what he ran on rejects the false choices that have dominated so much of our politics as well as our governing. So there, there, there should be no choice between pursuing safety for all, supporting our law enforcement, as well as pursuing justice for all. There should be a choice between pursuing things like economic growth as well as opportunity, and economic fairness, and economic support for all. We can have innovation as well as strive for a New York City in America where there, is, there are no homeless people. You know, the, the, those false choices can't dominate our politics in the 21st century. Our, our city's at such a critical juncture. We need. I won't just be, uh, you know, absolutely accepting his endorsement should it be offered, but 
may also say that you know, I, I, I'll always try to serve this city uh, and my community in any way I can, and any way certainly that would be helpful to this new administration. And on that note, I know we're out of time. I want to thank you for joining us. But if, if our listeners want to learn more about you and this campaign, where should they go? Go to MaxRoseForCongress.com uh, and, uh, or, you know, just direct message us on any of these me, me, uh, social media channels. And uh, we're, we're, we're happy to figure out ways to work with folks. Max Rose, I want to thank you so much for uh, this week uh, for joining us shortly after your announcement, and we'd love to have you back sometime. Thank you so much for joining us Absolutely. here on WBI. Thank you again. You're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here, as always, with the wonderful and talented Jeff Simmons. We just heard from former Congressman Max Rose, who, of course, is running to uh, regain the seat that he lost to current Congresswoman Nicole Malliotakis in the 11th District in Staten Island, Jeff. Yeah, it, it's going to be a really interesting race to watch because yeah. you, know, you and I both know that when uh, the night of the general elections here in the city, we were also looking nationally at the results. And so it, it's really going to be interesting to see what the climate is as we as we get close to closer to the midterm election, Celeste. Absolutely. I think that's going to be super interesting. And I am not entirely sure I agree with the former congressman that Donald Trump is not going to be on the ballot, so to speak, because I feel like the effects of the kind of political climate that he's engendered and the loyalty that he's engendered from some people, a lot of people in the Republican Party are not going away uh, anytime soon. But I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, I believe we are ready to move on to our next guest. We are going to be talking in just a little bit uh, about how WBAI can use your help. And of course, if you want to d- help us out right now, jump in, just go to WBAI.org and check it out. We're going to be talking soon about our new Tower Fund fundraising drive to help keep WBAI on the air. But right now, we're going to jump over to our next guest. And of course, this is somebody that you know, somebody you've been uh, following and talking to and about for years, somebody who's been on this program before. It's our pleasure to welcome to the program New York City controller Scott Stringer. Uh, unlike Max Rose, he did jump into that race for mayor. He was initially considered one of the candidates to beat, uh, certainly somebody who has made a name for himself in the progressive movement in the city. Um, we're not going to give you his full bio. Lots of you know all about him, know his career as an assemblyman on the Upper West Side, which is, I think, when I met him uh, back in the day, then uh, as Manhattan Borough President, and then, of course, two terms as city controller, overseeing all of our financial operations and being the custodian of the city pension funds. Very, very important job. So if you follow him, he's still hard at work, of course, watching over the city's finances. And this week, he released a very important and interesting report about the costs of incarcerating people. And we're going to be talking about that today. So welcome to WBAI, New York City Controller Scott Stringer. Pleasure to have you back. It is great to be back with you guys. How are you? Good, good. So uh, since we're sort of running into the uh, the end of the year, end of the term, we thought we'd just start off with kind of a low-key softball question, which is, what's your legacy going to be? I have to tell you, I have enjoyed working in so many different elective capacities that when I look at the legacy, uh, it's a legacy that I'm very proud of. You know, Celeste, you and I first met 
back in Albany when we took on rules reform in the state assembly. And I was able to engineer the end of MTC voting, which at the time was a major reform uh, that made me a lot of enemies, but actually made government better in Albany. And as borough president, we were able to work on things called community-based planning so neighborhoods would not be overrun with development. The people would have a voice at the table. And as controller, I think the, the legacy I'm most proud of, and I think about it today because my little son is turning turned 10 today, but that is the pension fund's historic effort to divest uh, from fossil fuels. And we've already divested some $4 billion dollars we're going to finish it up by the end of the year. We'll have some that has to be done back in January. But we were able to have this historic divestment, which has put the energy companies on notice that we're going to save our planet and our city. And I think that's just one of the things I will look back on when my kids say to me, so what did you do back then, 30 years in elective office? I want to be able to say I had skin in the game. The other thing I'm very proud of left is our work with women and minority-owned businesses, I appointed the city's first chief diversity officer. And, you know, I don't want the whole program to be about what I've done, but I'm very proud of the progressive work I've done at office. And I want people to know that I'm just getting started. You know, 61 is the new 41. And I've got (laughs) skin in the game with these two kids. And uh, you're going to be hearing a lot from me. Uh, And I'm kind of liking this private citizen gig in January, because I'm going to be able to speak my mind about some of the nonsense that's going on uh, in this town. So I'm kind of excited. Uh, you may have Stringer unhinged for a while. I'll be I'll be interested to hear what you have to say because since I met you, probably going back to what 2000 2001, you've been very shy and retiring about saying what you think. <laughs> I'm interested to hear what you like once you're uh, you know really released from uh, all those constraints. You, you, you just wait. I can't wait to be back on the show if I can wangle an invitation uh, in the beginning of next year. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually foresee you being a regular wise guy on New York One, by the way. You know, I'm too, I'm too young for that. You know, I, I, <laughs> oh, I, 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 see, you see, it's going to be different in January. I'm just giving you a hint. So I do want to get to a serious topic because, you know, you've had some and for our listeners, I worked in the controller's office for eight years and there was a very strong policy department. You have had some very good policy reports. Shout out to a former colleague of Celeste's, David Saltonstall, who was your head of policy for some time. And you had a great report that came out this week concerning the annual cost of incarcerating people and how that has increased over time. I'd love our listeners because this is a, a this is a criminal justice reform is very important to them. We'd love our listeners to know more about what you found. No, absolutely. And, and I'm really glad. I, I love being interviewed by you because you understand the, the work of the controller's office, the nuances. And, you know, the policy unit in that office that issued close to 50, 60, 70 reports in addition to our audits, I think has really changed a lot of policy in the city. But one of the things that David Saltonstall and our team looked at over the years was the spiraling cost of housing inmates at Rikers. And as the population started to dwindle, we kept warning anyone who would listen that cost is up, violence is up, and the inefficiency at Rikers was causing dangerous situations. I worked on this years ago, 
and kept pounding the table over and over. Finally, people woke up and listened. But in my final report on the Department of Corrections and what's going on at Rikers, it now costs $550,000 to incarcerate an inmate on Rikers Island. Think about that. $500,000. That's like $1,500 a day. I mean, you could stay at a fancy resort for $1,500 a day. So it's quadrupled since 2011. And the average daily jail population has fallen 61% over the last 10 years. So you tell me what we have to do. We need wholesale reform. That's why I said we had to shut down Rikers. And we have to do this in a way to keep both inmates and correctional officers safe. And that's not happening right now. It's really unbelievable. We're talking to New York City Controller Scott Stringer here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. And just want to stay on this one for one moment, because I think when when we talk about incarcerations, we're all sort of uh, shocked and, and appalled by the costs and uh, by the, the dangers that we've seen, as you say, not only to inmates, but to correctional staff uh, at places like Rikers Island. Uh, at the same time, whenever you talk about limiting these programs or consolidating them or shutting them down or basically locking up fewer people, you get a lot of people yelling about the crime rate and, uh, you know, talking to people about the crime rate in New York City right now. Of course, people are very concerned. So how do you uh, maybe, you know, for the lens of being controller and looking at costs and cost efficiencies, how do you do all these things while still keeping the city safe? Because you can eliminate things and cut costs but that doesn't necessarily uh, make things safer or make working conditions better. Well, look, criminal justice, crime, uh, making sure that, that, that there's alternatives is a very complicated proposition. It can't always play out, you know, in the press. You actually have to do the back work. I can tell you that you're not going to solve crime if within the jail system it's a hot mess. So if you know that the annual rate of assault infractions per, I think it is a 1,000 incarcerated persons, increased 18%, that shows a city, a police department, and a correctional uh, institution in people. And so the next matter is about to come in, keeping our people safe, but at the same time rebuilding our criminal justice system to create a level playing field. Look, the goal has to be, the goal has to be not one child going to Rikers. That means there's a lot that we have to do from an education perspective, from a programmatic perspective, to keep kids out of the criminal justice system. At the same time, we need to make sure that our streets are safe. I grew up, Celeste, in the 1970s when there were 2,000 murders a year. My mother used to tell my brother and I, when you get on the train, you sit with the conductor in the conductor car. People of my generation knew all too well that we had to all stay in the conductor car. Today, young people don't even know there's a conductor or a conductor car. And that's because we've had relative safety. I don't want to go back to the 70s and 80s, but I also want to look holistically at how we actually deal with criminal justice issues. And part of that is efficiency. Part of that is thinking creatively, programmatically, and also making sure 
that we do not have gun violence and gangs shooting up our, uh, our public housing development in our city. And there's something to be said about doing people and chewing gum at the same time. That's what Eric Adams is going to have to do. So speaking of Eric Adams, I'm, I'm think going back to the mayoral campaign, obviously for yourself, it didn't roll out as as you had planned. And as you reflect on this, you know, uh, I'm curious if you would have changed anything, any, any regrets. I want to also just repeat one of the quotes you had said that this was a very tough election for me and my family, but it was a very inspirational one as well. Can you just talk about, you know, what, uh, about that moment when you realized I, it, I'm just, you know, I'm, I've got to concede, I'm not going to be able to make it. Well, you, you know, truth be told, because I've had a lot of electoral success. You know, I was the underdog for Manhattan Borough President, and I won. Then I beat Elliot Spitzer when I was 20 points behind. So I did go into the mayor's race thinking, hey, you know, I, I can get this done. Uh, but I also want to start at the beginning of time. You know, you know, I come from a political family. My cousin was Mel Abzug. My mom is a single parent. You know, I campaigned for her when she was one of the first women to be elected to the city council. So I have always dreamed and loved public service and elective office. It's what I wanted to do at a young age. But think about this. A kid from Washington Heights, uh, you know, grows up to, you know, go to the legislature, become the president of Manhattan, and then to be the chief financial officer of the city. I mean, it's something that, that, while I hoped I would have a career like this, it's not something I really thought would happen because the disadvantages I had and the, you know, the struggles, it's not been an easy journey. Every office I've had to win has been a real firefight, including the mayor's race. But I have to tell you, uh, going into a battle like that with my wife, who you know, uh, who was just not just standing, standing by my side, but just such an inspiration to so many people and my two little kids, who I know were proud of their dad. I, I, I'm very lucky. Uh, my career in elective office, I don't think it's over. I may just be beginning. I think it's important to take a break, but I'm just getting started. And I have to tell you, the good thing about New Yorkers, since the election, I think I need a recount because everybody from all over the city as I travel told me how they voted for me, told me how they want me to run again. So I started adding it up. I think I'm in a runoff now at Adams because... Based on what people are telling me, but that's New Yorkers, right? They like they like when you get knocked down, but they respect when you get back up. And I owe it to them, my family, and the people I want to help to get back up and participate in the civic life of the city. And that's what I'm going to. So while you, while you're taking this this break from elective office, just curious as to you know you obviously you have a lot of options, uh, you have a lot of places to to go if you want. I mean, would you consider anything like having been now an executive twice? Would you consider something like an advisory position, a cabinet position, uh, an administration position, uh, somewhere where you would be, um, you know, not necessarily the, the head of everything, but where you could use uh, a lot of what you've learned to contribute in that way well you know i, I don't think uh, the new mayor is going to appoint me police commissioner so he's really missing out on my experience but no <laughs> uh look you know i'm going to help this administration you don't have to be in the administration to help the administration you know eric and i go back literally decades and i think if i had one he would be calling me every day saying get me in the game. I want to help. And that's exactly what I'm doing with him because we've got to beat COVID. We've got to turn on this economy. 
it cannot be left to one person. He needs a coalition of people, both people who supported him in the beginning, but also people who supported other candidates. And that is the best part of this city. We all come together and we are still in crisis. Our businesses are not opening fast enough. Our jobs are not coming back quick enough. I worry about out your budget gaps and Celeste, I'm going to go in there and help in any different way, but I'm going to use, you know, my platform, the experiences I've had to try to make that difference. I'm not clear what that means come January. You know, one of the things the listeners have to realize is that, you know, the controller's office is a hundred million dollar budget. It's a $200 billion pension fund. We register 30,000 contracts. We audit city agencies and that's just what we do when we're not busy. Uh, when we're busy, it is a very active and unique office. So one of the things I'm very committed to doing between now and December is working with Controller-Elect Lander, who has big plans and big ideas, and I want him to excel at this job because I think the best compliment you can give the work that you do is that you make it possible for the next elected controller to do a better job than you. And that is what I want to do. And to do that, I'm just helping Brad with the transition. Uh, I know he has big shoes to fill. I think it's, you know, I don't know how quite he's going to do it. Just kidding. Uh, he's going to do it. But I, I'm really committed to helping him through December 31st. And then I'm going to figure out what I got, what I want to do after the first of the year. So, Controller Scott Stringer, uh, where can people continue to follow you and your work? I'm sure people don't want to lose track of you and your career, your aspirations. Uh, when you leave office, how can people stay in touch? So, uh, right now, I'm at the Controller's office, and then I'll let everybody know where I'm going to be. I'm kind of you know, thinking about how I want to tweet and Twitter, right? So, stand by for that. Uh I'm not going to – I'm going to give as good as I get. I'm kind of excited about that, Celeste. But I want very much to continue to go to meetings, participate in, you know, the economic future of the city. You're going to definitely see and hear from me. But I have to tell you, this show has always been inspirational for me because you always ask the real questions, the issue questions, and to the extent that I can convince you from time to time to have me back. It's something that I would look forward to, that you and Jeff and everybody at WBAI, I think, provides an incredibly important service. And anyone who's ever listened to the show knows uh, that if you really want to know about New York City and civic affairs, this is, this is one of the places you got to go. And, and I want to jump in here as we close, because what I want our listeners to also know and why I want to thank you so much for speaking with us today, but also being an, a regular guest with us, is that before the pandemic, when we were in studio, you came right. in studio to take listener phone calls. And not every elected official agrees to do that. In fact, it's often one of the questions we get, will listeners be calling in? And we try to push for that with people. But yeah. you took those calls. And, you know, and, and I'm going to give it to one, uh, a credit to one of the uh, mayoral candidates because Curtis Lee was doing that, too, here on the show. So I want to thank you personally for doing that. And when we have you back and when we're back in studio, we would love to have you back in to take those calls again, Scott. Yeah, and, and we can, and then we can critique the other politicians, not me. This is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, let's get those calls going. This is just going to be great. You could even bring Curtis in one. This could get interesting. 
Thank you so much, Scott Stringer, controller of the city of New York. Not the first time, not the last time here on Driving Forces on WBAI. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that was our conversation with Scott Stringer, New York City controller, in his final weeks in office. Uh, we'll see what the future holds, but of course, I do want to make sure we have him back. We're going to open up the phone lines in a few minutes because we want to know what you thought about what Scott Stringer said, but also what Max Rose said. But also, you can weigh in on uh, Tish James's uh, announcement today that she's not going to run for governor. That'll be in a few minutes. We'll start taking your calls. I want to give you that number now. Uh, just wait a few minutes to call. 212-209-2877. Again, that's 212-209-2877. Just wait a few minutes because we want to take a brief break and then fill you in on a new campaign that WBAI has just launched. Reggie, can you play that segment? I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. And I'm Jeff Simmons. We host Driving Forces here on WBAI. We bring you thoughtful conversations about what really matters to New Yorkers on politics and public policy. And we make time to hear from you, our listeners, not just during the holidays, but all year round. To keep these critical conversations on the air, we need your help. From now until New Year's, we're building up our funds to pay rent on our broadcast tower at Four Times Square. Go to towerfund.wbai.org today to help us keep free speech radio alive in the greatest city in the world. That's towerfund.wbai.org. It's easy to donate. It only takes a minute. Just go to towerfund.wbai.org. And remember, your contribution is tax deductible. WBAI is getting its financial house in order. Help us keep our signal as strong and as clear as our commitment to bringing you the best in news, music, and culture. Give to WBAI this holiday season. Be heard. And that was Jeff and me, Celeste, with just a little message about why it's so important to help us out here at WBAI New York this holiday season. We are talking here, of course, about our brand new initiative, the WBAI Tower Fund. And we just spoke here on the program with former Congressman Max Rose, who's running for the House again in Staten Island. And then we talked with City Controller Scott Stringer, who's been a pretty regular guest here on the program about an important investigation he did into incarceration. Uh, and some of the initiatives that he's uh, undertaken as our chief financial officer, his legacy, what's ahead for him. Now, these are all important conversations that we can only have with your help. We can only continue to bring you this kind of information, these kinds of interviews with your help. And in New York, as you know, talking about how high the rent is is like a semi-pro sport. We play it all year round, doesn't have a particular season. This is a real problem. But uh, Jeff, and you can chime in on this. At WBAI, this is something you may not know, that, of course, we have an antenna that broadcasts our signal. Our tower is at four times square, and our rent, just for the tower, not for any of our other costs, just for the tower, $17,000 a month. That is right. Just to stay on the air with a clear tower signal on our FM uh, broadcast capacity, more than $200,000 a year. So that's a lot to handle, which is why we're reaching out to you for help, which is just go to, please, towerfund.wbai.org and make a donation to help us out. And once again, that's towerfund.wbai.org. 
wbai.org.org. It's really easy. It's fast. It goes a very long way towards maintaining all of the great WBAI programming that you know and love. Towerfund.wbai.org. It's and the best way not to forget is to just go online right now and help out. We really could use your help. You can donate in any amount that you choose, really. And remember, it's that end of year. I don't know if you're like me and you're like, I'm gonna do more donations in these final weeks because they're tax deductible. If you're thinking of where to contribute in these final weeks, here is the way to do that. And if you donate today, Right now, you can count on being able to write off your donation when you file your 2021 taxes. And there are so many ways that you can help to keep free speech radio alive at WBAI. I mean, your employer, for instance, your employer may match charitable donations. It doesn't hurt to ask. The worst that can happen is they say we don't do it. But what if you then discover that if you're giving a certain amount of money, they will match that. You might be able to double your donation. You can donate you can donate an old car to WBAI. You can even remember this station in your will, Celeste. Yes, hopefully not today, but looking <laughs> forward, of course. But the point we're trying to make here, of course, is that there are lots of different ways to contribute to the station. You just have to go to WBAI.org and check them all out. It only takes a minute to donate. It's very easy. You can make a one-time donation or you can make a, a recurring donation. You could become a WBAI buddy and make a regular monthly contribution in the name of your favorite show. I'm sure it's driving forces, but it could be City Watch, which is Jeff's other program here on WBAI. But, you know, the important thing we want to remember uh, here is that we have to ask for your help and we appreciate all your help because WBAI is a nonprofit station. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. We don't get big corporate checks. We don't flood the airwaves with commercials. We don't take these kind of payouts. Jeff and I, in fact, don't even get paid for the work we do here. We are volunteers. Every week we take the time. We put in the effort to find you great guests. Today, again, we had uh, former Congressman Max Rose is running for re-election. We had New York City Controller Scott Stringer, the Chief Financial Officer of the City of New York. The reason we can bring you these conversations is because we rely on you for help and you come through. And in fact, you know, we love our WBI listeners. And last week when we were on, we heard from a woman, I believe her name was Dorothy, that she had donated to WBAI. And we really appreciated that. But she donated and then called us because she was still waiting for the autographed book by Tova Feltshu. So you want to know how much we care? I gave my email address. It's jeff at WBAI.org. She emailed me. I put the book in the mail to her. I think it was a day or two later, but I mailed that book to her because Celeste and I really want WBAI listeners to know that we hear you and we are grateful for your support. So, you know, as Celeste noted, we started driving forces more than three years ago. We really want to continue having these conversations and we can do that if we have your support. So to do that, we periodically do need to ask for your help. You know, every show we do mention donating to WBAI, but this is a very important campaign. This is crucial. We're trying to do this in several weeks. It's incredibly important. And every dollar you give to us will help us. Remember, it's towerfund.wbai.org. 
That is the place to go to make a donation today. And I cannot stress enough how important this money will be to supporting us and keeping us on the air. Now, I know we want to continue talking about this. We'll take a call right now, and then we'll come back and tell you a little more about it, because I believe we have a listener uh, who had called in. Uh, Reggie, let's put that call through. Welcome to uh, WBAI. What is your name and what's on your mind today? Not there anymore. Oh, not there anymore. Call's gone. Well, if you're listening and you want to call back in, we apologize because this is very important to Celeste and me that we bring this information to you, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, we're trying to we're trying to do a bunch of things here. We're trying to bring you these great conversations, but we're also trying to explain. And fortunately, we have people out there who understand that to do this uh, is going to be a team effort. This is something that we need your help to do. So please check it out. Go to WBAI.org. WBAI.org. You'll see the big blue button right there, the big field that says Tower Fund. Help us make uh, make this possible every day, 24 hours a day. $17,000 a month in rent. It's, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a burden, especially when you don't have these big uh, commercial checks, corporate checks coming in. We rely on you to help us out. WBAI.org is where you can find out all about ways to donate and support the Tower Fund. We are going to be taking your call and personally, if you are a contributor to WBAI, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear why you think it's important to support this station, what your favorite programs are. The number to call, 212-209-2877. That's our studio line, 212-209-2877. And Jeff, do you realize it's over three years now that you and I started appearing here together as driving forces? It's uh, It's been quite a ride. It has been quite a ride. And listeners, you know, I have to tell you, one of the things Celeste and I do to try to communicate well with each other so we don't jump on each other with, you know, step on each other's remarks when we're speaking is we're on FaceTime each week as well. So we can point so we don't kind of step on each other. I look forward to that each week because I don't get to just to talk to Celeste. Uh, I get to see her each week and it's wonderful. And you should see the state of her apartment right now. But that's a whole other question. A whole other issue. Oh, well, on that note, I believe we have a caller on the line. Jeff, but thank you. Uh, so we're going to go to the phones and remember the numbers 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. And we're going to go to the phones now. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're calling from? Jackpot. Hi, my name is Chris Stanfield and I'm calling from Manhattan. Hi, Chris. And What's I'm on your calling... mind today? Great. And um, I love your show. I've been a um, I've been a contributor to WBAI for three million years. But I'm calling about on December 2nd, Jeff um, um, took, a, took a caller who asked that, um, that you devote a show to the New York Health Act. Uh, and, and Jeff was like, you know, yeah. You know, he, he thought, he said, yeah, we can do that in, um, in January. Um, and... Are you still are you serious about having a show on the New York Health Act? I'm serious about exploring health issues, going back to climate issues, environment. That is something I do want to bring up. I'm just so you know, I'm going to be off the next few weeks. So that's another reason I wanted to push that to January because I would like to revisit that topic. And, you know, Celeste is going to be holding down the fort while I'm gone and doing a a, a fantastic job. But I do agree. There are issues we don't always get to uh, when we have candidates on or elected officials. So what I enjoy sometimes is when we make a show issue specific and that 
that's the main reason we and and that I'm glad you brought that up because I know exactly what you're talking about. We do want to come back to that issue. Because because yeah. towards that end, I wrote you a very lengthy and passionate email. Right, you know, I'm I'm a member of Grassroots Action on New York, um, part of the New York Health Campaign, and we had a, a really spirited rally uh, in Harlem uh, on November 20th. So I have so many, um, uh, or not, um, you know, through the organization, we have so many very very uh, articulate and and well informed speakers. To you know, to it's one thing to have. Um, Medicare for all, everybody in, nobody out, no stinking uh, co-pays, everything included, but to have somebody also explain how that could be financed. And there have been studies done and how um, money obviously would be, um, would be saved. And I'm wondering, um, Jeff, if uh, I can email you again and we can, I had emailed you before, if we can set up a meeting to um, to carry this out. So I'm sorry if I, I just don't recall seeing the email. I'm reminding you, you know, Jeff at WBAI.org. Well, uh, it if was you get Jeff it. Simmons. Ah, don't throw my last name in there. <laughs> just do yeah. Jeff, Jeff at. Okay. <laughs> no problem. That's why I didn't see it. But we're going to have to wrap up because we've only got two minutes I, left I before we so have much. to close and, the show. And, Definitely. I, I thank you for calling and Definitely send that over to me. We will be going to... Um, you know, when we come back in January, or when I come back in January, well, this is something we will look at. So I appreciate you calling in and following up on that. And we just want to remind you, I think Jeff is going to tip us off to what's coming up on this Sunday's City Watch, which is very exciting. But again, just really want to underscore your donation of $25 or more means that you become a member of the station. You can participate in important votes that determine the future of independent free speech radio in the greatest city in the world. Your gift is tax deductible. Uh, we are coming up to the end of the year. If you donate by December 31st, you can include that gift as a Write off when you file your 2021 taxes. So, hey, why not? If you want to keep listening to great shows like City Watch, Deadline NYC, Black Seinfeld, Golden Age of Radio, Max Politics, and of course, of course, from the soundboard, which is hosted by our very own engineer, Reggie Johnson, please go to WBAI.org today and click Ways to Donate. Now, Jeff, what's, what's coming up on City Watch this weekend? Well, this Sunday at 10 a.m. on City Watch, David Brand will be hosting. He'll be talking with a friend of ours, Politico City Hall Bureau Chief Sally Goldenberg, about the contentious City Council speakers race, incoming Mayor Eric Adams' administration, and what to expect in 2022. And he'll be joined later in the program by Lawrence Can, founder of Street Soccer USA, a soccer program for New Yorkers experiencing homelessness. I want to thank you so much for tuning in to Driving Forces today. Uh, again, I would like to thank our guests, U.S. Uh, former U.S. Congressman Max Rose, current New York City controller Scott Stringer, and of course, Reggie, who Celeste uh, also credited because we love working with Reggie. And we will, well, I will be gone. I'll see you in 2022, or I'll hear you or hear your calls in 2022. But Celeste will be back with you. Uh, we're off next week. She will be back on the 23rd. So we will see you on the radio. Have a great day.